on Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and it reads like this. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure that you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but do not notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your own eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us, as we've been reminded through song, through prayer, through fellowship. Father, I pray that we would continue in worship, God, as we hear your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would show us the beauty of Jesus, show us your holiness, your perfection, show us the cross, show us that you are truly God and we are not. Show us, God, our desperate need of you during this time. Father, I pray that I would decrease as you increase. Um, I pray that I would proclaim your word and your your word alone, and I pray that we would all be encouraged in the faith, God, that we would be encouraged in faith and obedience in this time would truly shape how we understand and see you, Lord. So I pray that your spirit would move heavily in this place, God, and you would just be with us in all things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Growing up, I understood a few things. Um, in a black grandmama's house, there are certain things you just don't do. She has her own commandments. So, yeah, we know the Ten Commandments. It's don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, all these different things. But it was another commandment that she added. You never touch her remote when her shows are on. So from, like, 11 in the morning to 5 p.m., she had specific shows. And if you turn that channel, she would have a problem with you, even if she was not in the room. And we would watch different shows, but a lot of times we would watch judge shows. So y'all may be familiar with that. Judge Judy, Judge Joe Brown, Divorce Court, Judge Mathis. We would have the whole family come around and we would sit and then we would laugh at these people on television. And we would listen to their stories and the reasons why they were in court and we would laugh at the judge's responses as they joked about them. But oftentimes as I reflect, we used these embarrassing stories we saw on TV for our own entertainment. Our laughter was at the expense of other people. I think it was easy for us to watch these shows on television and laugh at people because we did not know first, we didn't know the whole story. We didn't know how they got in that situation. We don't know the backstory of how they even got to court. And secondly, we, don't, we didn't associate ourselves with them because we saw them as objects for our entertainment rather than real people with real issues. Ain't it interesting, oftentimes, how we see people? It's easy for us to judge those people on television because they made us feel something about ourselves in comparison to them. It made us feel good because we didn't see ourselves in those particular situations, so we can identify with what they may have been going through. 
I heard it growing up in church that this great God that we serve and we worship, he's a God who overlooks our faults and he sees our needs. And we praise God and worship him for that truth. But at the same time, I think the human heart does something a little different. I think the human heart overlooks needs and begins to see faults. Why is it that when we see issues, when we see struggles, when we see brokenness, we tend to step back and laugh? It may not be openly, but ridiculing in our hearts saying, oh, that would never be me. I would never find myself in that predicament. This person is in this predicament for a particular reason, and me, within myself, with my own understanding, I would never do what that person did. We sit back and judge. It's in our DNA to judge. But here lies the problem when it comes to judgment. We think we can judge, and we have the ability and authority to judge righteously and rightly. We think we have right vision, so because we have right vision, we can properly judge others where we find themselves. We don't know the whole story. We don't have the full picture. And in this passage today that we talk about, Jesus is not telling us not to judge at all. We're going to speak more on what that looks like, but usually we do two things when it comes to judgment. What do you think about when you hear the word judge? This might be one of the most misinterpreted or misunderstood passages in the Bible, but I think it's two responses when we hear that word. We hear do not judge, and then we think detach ourselves immediately from anybody else who has problems. We leave people alone. We leave them by themselves. We don't want to confront or encourage. We just say, no, that's not my problem. They have to deal with it by themselves. And we see that as caring for that person. And secondly, we also see people as projects rather than real people. What happens in this situation is our whole conversations are surrounded by that particular struggle that this person has. We view them not based on them being created in the image of God, but based on their issue. The basis of our relationship is only when they mess up. In a small group, oh, you still struggling with that. How has that been this week? Sunday, oh, how has that been this week? That's the main basis and foundation of the relationship. No encouragement or no care or concern for that person, but only responding and relating to them based on their problems. We, as people, can easily relate to others as charity cases rather than people who are in need of God and not necessarily in need of us. So we'll see in this passage today that neither approach speaks to the transformative power of the gospel. This text helps us and will help us see that we are to judge in light of the kingdom of God that's expressed in Jesus. He sets before us the way that kingdom people, those who have been saved by Jesus, must discern how we are to judge. And here we find ourselves with our big idea, our main point for the time. In God's kingdom, we need humility before we can help. In God's kingdom, we need humility before we can help. The Sermon on the Mount shows us that the kingdom is God, what the kingdom of God is like through the authority of the word of Jesus. Now, Jesus has 
a primary target as we read the Sermon of the Mount. One person throughout the sermon that he's picking on or pointing out, it's not the tax collector, it's not the, the prostitute, it's the hypocrite. The hypocrite is the one who preaches a standard to others but does not live up to their own standard on his own. And he shows us how we ought to understand the difference between one who has humility and one who lives hypocritically. One who judges with a harsh criticism and one who judges with compassion. The question that this text presents to us today is how are we to correct others in order to build them up in Jesus and not tear them down? Verses 1 through 4, we're going to focus on unholy criticism. 1 and 2, going back to the text, it says this, do not judge so that you will not be judged for you will be judged based on the same standard with which you judge others and you will be measured by the same measure you use so for clarification's sake as I said there's probably so many interpretations and misunderstandings of this text but what does Jesus mean when he says do not judge now I want to be clear even before I begin to explain that I know all of us in this room has been affected by some type of judgment it may have been a family member who said something in a negative, sinful way that has shaped how you view yourself. It may be a best friend who mistreated you and abandoned you in a, in a particular time. And so when you hear that word judge, you think about your experience. And we want to be empathetic and, and sympathetic to that, knowing that all of us have faced some type of harsh judgment or criticism in some particular way. But in the midst of that, Let's look at God's grace in this text and God's word. Contrary to popular belief, God has called his people to judge his people. Nobody run out of the room when I said that, so I think we all on the same page. God has called Christians to judge other Christians. Now, what I mean by that is Christian judgment holds the believer responsible to the profession of faith that he's made in Jesus. We have one situation in 1 Corinthians 5 where there's a man who's sleeping with his father's wife. And Paul is like, yo, like, have y'all said anything to this brother? Like, he's tripping and he's in the church and he's saying he's committed to Jesus, but he's not living out that profession of faith. He's openly rebelling against God. And he says, no, God judges the outsider, but you judge, correct your brother. This is what Jesus is hitting on when we talk about this type of judgment. It is a care and concern for another's faith. It is holding them, that person to the profession of faith that they have made in Christ. No, this is not a judgment of condemnation. This is a judgment of loving correction to point that person back to the truth of the gospel. We judge not one another not based on comparison or self-righteousness, so, but so that the name of Christ would not be slandered or disgraced. This, every Christian in this room, is our responsibility to care for another, one another in this way, we all have blind spots and we all need one another in order for us to truly walk with Jesus in the way that he's called us to. 
But that's not the type of judgment Jesus is talking about right here. The judgment that Jesus is talking about in verse 1, he's talking about judging others based on your own personal righteousness. The first two verses, he is saying that we should not judge harshly. This judgment is destructive. This judgment focuses on and fixates itself on another person's faults, and it tries to magnify those faults in front of others. The one who judges harshly believes something wrong about God and something wrong about himself. The one who judges harshly thinks he's representing God, but it's really an attempt to replace God. If you are the standard, if you are the standard, you will always judge harshly because there's an underlying belief that you have the ability and the authority to judge another person. His scale of judgment is unbalanced. He does not see that the person that he's speaking to needs grace and mercy just like he needs grace and mercy. James 4, verses 11 through 12, it says it like this. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. And if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one One lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The first question we must ask ourselves when we recognize that we are being critical or harsh towards one another is not what they did to me. The first question we must ask is not how did they miss the mark. The first question we must ask ourselves when we recognize that we are being harsh towards one another in our judgment is who do we think we are? In that moment, in essence, Jesus is saying that harsh judgment comes from a prideful heart that thinks that we can be God in another person's life. It's a heart that does not trust that the Holy Spirit is working and changing his people over time. But we can play the role of the Holy Spirit and we have to enforce and reinforce change in order for people to be like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit within us that changes his people. It's not our harsh criticism and and judgment. We have to recognize those areas where we are acting as functional dictators who are forcing other people to do things that we cannot do on our own. Instead of trusting the Lord to change us over time, we want to enforce behavior immediately. But listen, harsh criticism hurts others. And it's also an attack on the character of God. We have to reflect and examine our hearts and say, what areas in my life Am I trying to be God in another relationship that I have? The critical, harsh judge ignores his human limitations and assumes the role of God in the life of other believers. The problem with this judgment is two things. It's based on what we see and how we see. Let's look at three and four. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye But don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your eye. This speaks to the fact that we oftentimes minimize our sin and magnify the sins of others. One commentator said it like this. We find it so easy to turn a microscope 
on another person's sin while we look at ours through the wrong end of, of a telescope. I had a friend in college, he used to always say this. He says, look how angry we get at another person's sin. Look how quick we are to judge that other person's sin. Watch, that same sin that you hate is the sin that you hate within yourself. Those who judge, we who judge self-righteously, Jesus is pointing out that our seeing is impaired. Our sight is impaired. We only see externally and partially, and we think that we can judge internal motives and condemn others based on what we see. The text, it communicates that there is a preoccupation with the brother's issue without honest self-reflection of his own issue. This brother has a beam of wood poking out of his face, and he's more concerned with a splinter and a speck in a person's eye rather than their own beam of wood. Judging others like this is like the person who lives in a world full of windows with no mirrors. It's the person who sees everything around him, can see everything on the outside, but they can never see themselves. Church, we must take into account our own blindness, and we need God to be God. We need to acknowledge God is God, and we need God's word for us to see rightly when it comes to our relationships. What does this look like when, it turn, when in, in moments of conflict and frustration with others, we are filled with judgment? We jump to conclusions about one another without any type of interaction or conversation. We project what we think about others onto them. And from that, we treat them based on our own thoughts rather than what God has called us to do. We craft stories in our minds and our thoughts, and now we live with them and relate to them based on our own perception. We demand change from others while withholding relationship from others. Have you ever been to a a kid's birthday party and they had a pinata? And so they set it up in the middle of the middle of the room and you got kids running around everywhere and they put a blindfold on this kid's face and then they give them a bat, which is a bad combination. So they have this and they put it in the middle of the room and then the kid just starts swinging. He just starts swinging, he's swinging, he's swinging. And you don't want to be around because you might get hit too because the kid cannot see. He doesn't know what he's swinging at, but he's hoping that he can hit that pinata because there may be candy or money in that pinata. And finally, maybe after two hours after trying, they finally hit it. And then all the candy and the money comes out and all the kids gather around and then they pick it up and everybody celebrates. Family, let us not treat one another like pinatas. Let us not blindly Ignoring our own sin, ignoring our own faults, blindly start swinging and judging others based on what we see. We are blind and if we're swinging and swinging at them over and over again with our harsh judgments, with our evil motives. If we continue to do that, we're going to tear them down rather than build them up. Using words that ignore the worth and the image of God in others. It's not representing God well. We're trying to replace God with our own actions. Under the kingdom of God, under the rule of Christ, we must seek humility in order to really help one another. Jesus sets 
the table for us to understand that first we must acknowledge our own brokenness, our own weakness, our need for humility first before we can ever move to actually helping someone else. This takes an honest reflection. It takes community. It takes relationships where we can acknowledge our brokenness, our misconceptions of others, our false pretenses, and then from there God can work in us to help us help others. We must come not as righteous judges, but know that we are broken sinners in need of the same mercy that our brothers and sisters need. How do we move from lives marked by prideful judgment to lives marked by humility with the ability to help others? Jesus points us to this in verses 5 and 6. He says, hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or you will tramp or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. The first point we saw what unholy criticism looks like. And in the second part, we see what compassionate correction looks like. We find the force in Jesus words and his on his indictment on those who say one thing, but they live out another. That word hypocrite comes. The hypocrites are the ones who hold others to a standard that they cannot fulfill on their own. And now Jesus is teaching us as a people under the kingdom that we should no longer judge harshly, but we can carefully help others in need of care. Now pay attention to the care and attention that Jesus speaks to in verse 5. He says, No, take the beam of wood out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brothers. Think about that. A splinter, to take a splinter out, it takes precision. It takes gentleness. The splinter is located in the eye, which is the most sensitive place on the human body. We must acknowledge our own sin, our own deficiencies, that beam of wood, in order to clearly see how to help one another. If you've ever had a splinter, you know that that pain is annoying and it's aggravating. Something so small causes so much discomfort. And if you're not patient and gentle as you're trying to get that splinter out, it's only going to cause more discomfort. But we thank and praise our God for tweezers, amen? (laughs) This splinter is under the surface. If you try to yank it out or pull it out, it's only going to cause it to go in deeper. But we have tweezers, and we use these tweezers, and they get up under the skin in order for us to remove that splinter. It takes a tool, and it takes gentleness in order to get that splinter out of the skin. And this is what Jesus is teaching us this morning. If you have a beam in your eye, if there's unresolved pride, if you are critical of your brother and sister, you will only hurt people, and you will never help them in the way that they need. Our problems, our issues, our sins are sensitive, delicate, and it takes much more than just one word for one encouragement for us to be able to deal with these issues. Our issues are at the root. We only see the fruit of them in relationships. What does it look like for us to care for one another in this way? Action points, application 
we must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Instead of projecting what we think about people, how about we go to them and ask them, brother, I've noticed this. How can I serve you? How can I help you in this way? Acknowledge your own weakness in prayer and in relationship and dependence on God's spirit to rightly see situations. We must seek to understand each other before we can try to educate one another on what they need to do. This takes an honest reflection before the Lord and among his people to recognize that even as I seek to care for someone else, I'm bringing sin into this situation. I'm not faultless in this situation. So we must come instead of quickly asserting ourselves, or quick, quickly judging and becoming angry when we don't see the change we want to see, we must recognize that our role is to only participate in the Spirit's work in that person's life. We must always recognize that if God has saved that person, God is the one who is moving in that person, and I'm just coming alongside to encourage that person in what God is doing in them. What would happen if our church was marked, our churches would be marked by this type of care and concern? Growing up in church, I've seen families, communities who've experienced harsh criticism, totally abandoned the faith just because they had one person. Just because they had one person who judged them but did not give them relationship that judged them and critiqued them but never offered them any type of grace, never followed up and just cared for them. I thank God for the people in this church who are willing to give the same grace that they know they need to others, who are willing not to come and project and try to be teachers in a particular situation, but to understand that I'm a brother and sister and I'm just coming alongside what God is doing in this person's life who knows that any type of change, any type of transformation is going to happen through the Spirit of God and not my own personal efforts. This is what God is calling us to as a people. What would happen? This would be a place of healing for those, as I said before, who've experienced harsh judgment, who've experienced loss in relationships because they did not meet a standard that somebody else set for them. This is what God has called us to as a church to be a reflection of God's work, to be a reflection of God's spirit working in his church, not trying to replace God in the lives of others in order that our lives would be a lot easier. Our sin is not a barrier to God's love, so because of that, we must live in knowing that we must reflect God's love in the way that we humbly care for one another. We need humility before the Lord, and before one another in order for us to patiently and actively see how we can help somebody in a practical way. And that sounds good, and I'm sure everybody in here would believe and hope that they could do that, but how does the gospel inform and empower us to see judgment in this way? Not based on our personal experiences, not based on what we've seen in others, but how does the gospel inform us and encourage us in this way. How can we become a people who walk in humility and offer compassionate help to others in order to encourage the Spirit's work in their lives? We must do one thing before we 
get to what we need to do, we must look up and look at the God of the cross. We must look at the crucified God. The holy, righteous, the merciful, the faithful God that was crucified. We must look to him who was executed. And that same beam that was projected out of this man's eye in his text is that same cross that he was nailed on for our sin. The crucified God was crucified on a beam of wood. That beam of hypocrisy, that beam of slander, that beam of malice, that beam of evil that was in our hearts. The crucified God died. What does this cross communicate to his people? What does it tell us about Christian judgment? What does it tell us about judgment that the world does not know anything about? On this cross, his judgment of sin did not tear us apart, but he was teared apart on our behalf. His judgment... He was condemned on our behalf, that condemning judgment that's in our hearts. He took up on his behalf, this God who knows all things. This God who knows our desire to replace him in the world. This God who knows our rebellion. This God who knows that we judge others with a judgment that he did not judge us with. He endures the wrath of God to free his people of this condemnation. This cross tells us that God sees us completely. He sees our pride. He sees that insecurity that moves us to judging others hypocritically. But watch this. This cross, it teaches us something about God's judgment. His judgment is is not without Mercy. Listen, church, this is what the cross does, and this is what the world does not know anything about. The cross exposes our sin. It shows us that we are sinners in need of grace. It does expose us, but it embraces us at the same time. This God of mercy exposes our sin. He shows us our rebellion towards him, and he says, no, I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to die for this sin. Watch this. This is what we miss when it comes to Christian judgment, carefully loving and judging one another. The God of the cross judges us and offers us relationship at the same time. And here's the problem with our world. Oftentimes, the world tries to do one thing or another. The culture tries to cover people without any type of confrontation. And the other side confronts without trying to cover people, but the gospel of Jesus does both. In the garden, Genesis 3, what do we see God doing after Adam and Eve sin? His first question to them is not what you have done, but where are you? Where are you at? I'm seeking intimacy with you. I'm seeking relationship with you. Something has got in the way of our relationship. He confronts in order to cover us. He confronts in order to care for us, to love us, to show us his passionate, great love for us. This is the purpose of the cross, to confront us, but also to offer us a covering for our sin. This is what God has called us to. We must see both. Let's not be fooled that people are caring for us if they're only trying to cover us while never confronting us based on our sin. Let us not think that people who embrace us but never expose or point out those issues in our life really care about us. We see the love of God at the cross where he does both. We see the God of the cross exposing that sin and then taking, 
giving his life for that sin and now saying, I'm committed to walking with you even in the midst of this sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, not when we cleaned up, not when we changed, not when we were transformed, but before that, he saw us and said, no, I'm dying for you to make you lovely. I'm not going to wait on you to be lovely for me to die for you. We need both. We need loving confrontation and to be reminded that God has covered our sin. Let's not be fooled into thinking that we can heal based on one or the other. We need confrontation, loving confrontation, while also being reminded that God has covered our sin. Often our problem, and this is a big action point for us in this time, we must learn to relate to one another, not based on their performance, but their position in Christ. Think about this. In this church, one of the beautiful doctrines that we hold is justification. If you don't know what justification is, it's this. For those who have placed their faith in Jesus, you have been declared righteous in in God's sight. That when God looks at you, when you place your faith in Jesus, he no longer sees you based on your performance or your sin. He sees you based on the position that Christ has afforded to you through the power of the cross. Disciples of Jesus, we must learn not to relate to one another based on their performance, but their position. What would happen if when I saw sin in your life or you have sinned against me, I don't first remind you of what you did, but what Christ has done for you? What would happen if I said, oh, I see this, but listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What, who the Son has set free is truly free indeed, reminding them that we are no longer bound to what we've done, but we are free by what Christ has done on our behalf. What is our position in Jesus? The way that we relate to one another, it tests what we truly believe about justification. Do we really believe that we I think we apply it well to ourselves, but do we really believe that those around us have been saved by faith through grace? Do we really believe that we have been declared righteous? And do we apply that truth to our brothers and sisters? If our judgment reflected that, what would that look? What type of healing would happen in our lives? What type of joy and worship would flow out of our hearts when we understood that we are truly declared righteous based on Christ and not our works? Church, we must learn to preach this gospel to ourselves. God has given us relationship to conform us to his image so we can now enjoy and participate in the Spirit's work in the lives of others. We're not people who reinforce or try to enforce change in people's lives, but we recognize that God is working. God is moving and God is changing his people in his own time, in his own way. And we can just enjoy and watch it as we walk with the Lord. When we see sin in others, when we are affected by the sins of others, this is not an opposition to our joy, but it's actually an opportunity to remind our family that there is no condemnation in Christ. Yes, our relationships are frustrating and they're difficult and they bring things out of us that we did not even know existed, but God is using that. God is using our sins, our weaknesses, our struggles in the in community among ourselves to 
prune us and make us to be more like Jesus, where we're no longer people who just react to other people's sin, but we're actively joining the work of God in the lives of others. We must ask the Lord to change our hearts, and we must learn to relate to one another based on position and not performance. Christian in this room, all of us have our struggles, but I want to remind you that Jesus does not police our bad behavior each and every day. No, he's participated. He's actively and fully committed to you looking like him every single day. And he uses the word prayer and relationships with one another in order to accomplish that goal. This is an encouragement for all of us. When we see a brother struggling, a brother or sister struggling with sin, let's remind them of their position. Chosen holy, loved by God, adopted into the family of God, forgiven of all sins and trespasses. Let us learn how to relate to one another in this way. God's correction is rooted in his compassion. We must learn the way of the kingdom. We must acknowledge our pride, acknowledge who God is, learn humility, and then from that, learn how we can help others. We no longer, as Christians, we no longer point others to our standard of life, but we point people to Jesus who has fulfilled that standard of God on our behalf. The Lord closes in verse 6 with this warning. He says, don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. When we hear this, it It is graphic. It it does sound violent. But Jesus is using this language to to communicate a truth for all who would follow him. Verse 6, it teaches us that a compassionate, humble judgment of another does not promise a gentle response. Jesus calls us to live lives of discernment while we seek to help others in humility. This is another side of humility that we must always take up the same way that we need humility when it comes to our brothers. We need humility as we approach unbelievers. Jesus is not calling people animals in this passage, but he is communicating something very important. Listen, you can have holy and gracious words, but that does not promise that you won't be treated in a particular way. Watch this. The dogs and the pigs in this passage are stubborn and ignorant of what's in front of them. They trample, they tear, they turn over it. Think about this. How crazy does it sound if you had a diamond ring and you left it at home with your dog? You just left it out on the floor. If you came back and that diamond ring wasn't there, you knew what would happen to it. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you would not leave a diamond ring alone with a pig or a dog because they don't know its value. This is not a charge. Hear me on this. This is not a charge for us to be gracious and kind and share the gospel with people. And then once they just reject it one time, just to leave them alone and never speak to them again. But he is saying this is a warning for all who would join God in his work, in his kingdom. To recognize those who express a defiance, a stubbornness, an active opposition to the life of God provided in Jesus that we need to be discreet. 
Jesus, he cautions his disciples not to waste their time in places with people who were adamant about rejecting the word of the Lord. Here we need humility as well. Because just like in the first few verses of this passage, we see that we cannot change our brothers. We can definitely not change those who are adamant unbelievers. This again shows us the judgment, the righteous, holy judgment of God, that God alone is able to save and to destroy. He is truly the judge of all, and we do not have power to make people see true righteousness in Christ. Yes, we know the power of the gospel and we know the riches of the, of the gospel, but we must offer those gifts to people around them, but not force feed them to take it. This text, it gives us a sober understanding that God is the true and only judge and our primary role is to point others to him and not ourselves. What does this text communicate to us today? What is the importance? What is our corporate application for this time? Based on what God has shown us that we need humility, true, deep, abiding humility before the Lord and before others, what is it that we're called to do right now? My charge, my encouragement for us during this time is to seek help. Seek help in order to see yourself rightly. In order to judge righteously, we must see ourselves rightly. The action for the members of this church, those who are formed and a part of this community of faith, who knows you in this room? Who knows those weak spots? Let us be proactive and bold. Let us not wait until our sin is revealed in public before we confess our sin. Ask your small group leader. Ask your pastors. Ask your best friends in this church. What are those areas where I'm weak and I don't see it? Where are those areas where I, I know the truth, but it's hard for me to actually live out that truth? How can I change? Can, will you help me? Are you willing to walk with me in this area? We don't have to just wait until something bad or drastic ha- happens before we have to talk about our issues and our conflicts. We can be proactive, trusting that the Lord, as we confess, will meet us on the other side of that confession and give us the help that we need first. The first step is not us understanding, oh, how do I need to address this particular situation? No, we must address the situations in our own heart, the issues in our own heart. We must seek counsel. The truth is that if we're left to ourselves, we're going to lie to ourselves. It's easy for us to justify ourselves when we're always isolated. Don't wait until something happens. Be proactive in your discipleship. Reminding yourself that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That there's a freedom from this harsh judgment because of what Christ has done on your behalf. And proactively seek relationship. Seek care around those areas that you know that God intends to work on in you. I hope our goal, our vision for this passage during this time is that we will learn to care for one another instead of tearing each other down based on our own faulty standards. The gospel of God has made us new and applies new meaning to what it means by judgment. 
our words to each other must not be rooted in our own personal desires and motives, but we're reminded that God is taking up that wrath on himself. And not only has he done that, but he's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can grow in the ability to care and relate to one another in the ways that God has intended for us to do. He's provided us everything we need for life and godliness. So now, us as a church, as a body of Christ, we no longer have to relate to one another based on our performance, based on what we see on the surface, but we can actively participate in what God is doing through the power of his spirit to make us look more and more like Christ. Let's pray. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Um, Father, you said in your word that um, you sent your son not to condemn the world, but to save the world of his sin. And I pray that you would do that, Lord. There may be someone in this room who does not know you, Lord. They're still living under that weight of condemnation and insecurity. I pray that you would free them right now, Lord. I pray that you would save someone in this room, Lord. And I pray that our church will be a reflection of caring and loving one another as you called us to, Lord. I praise you and thank you for this church and how you've done so much beautiful work in changing and shaping our lives around the gospel. And I praise you and thank you for the gifts you provided in this church. And I pray that we would grow. I pray, Lord, that we would grow in relationship to one another. I pray that we will be reminded of our justification, that we've been declared righteous in your sight, God, that our sin was no barrier to your grace and your love, but you died on the cross for our sins. And we would not just apply that individually, but we would apply that corporately to everyone who would follow you, Lord. I pray that you would help us, God. Apart from you, we can do nothing, God. We need your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.